That desk is over 30 years old, so uh, it served us well, uh, but the time has come to bury it, clearly. Um, anyway, we are now, as Mike pointed out, in a season that the church calls ordinary time. So the uh, church calendar is split into these chunks of time, and ordinary time is represented by the color green, hence the green table runner on the table. So this uh, green table runner will represent ordinary time for the next six or seven weeks. Technically, it should be white, shouldn't it, Mike? Because today's a feast day, as in the feast of the baptism of our Lord, but I'm not that liturgical, okay? I just make a nod to it every so often. Anyway, ordinary time um, is exactly what it says. We're not focusing on uh, Advent or Lent or any of those specific themes, but are kind of freer to explore more widely. During this season of Ordinary Time, I want to launch today a new series which uh, I'm calling Keeping Faith in Ordinary Time. And it's going to be a series of talks during Ordinary Time about what it means for us as modern slash postmodern people to keep faith, to hold on to it um, when there's so much change and uh, disruption in the world that we live in. So that means I won't be referring as much or if at all necessarily, to the actual lectionary readings each week, but rather I'm going to take us through a series uh, of talks. But we still will refer to the lectionary by having uh, different readers and so on. Anyway, today I am using the lectionary reading. That's the one that uh, Sarah read to us before. If you remember what it was, it was the story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. Now, the thing about the story, as we read, um, it's familiar. John is doing his thing, baptizing people. Along comes Jesus. Uh, At first, he's not keen on baptizing Jesus. But Jesus is like, no, it's really important. You do baptize me. John says, okay. And then you get the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son, and so on. The thing, though, about the baptism of Jesus and John the Baptist being this guy who does all this baptism is that John, unlike Luke, explains where this happens. And I'm going to tell you where it happens. And for us, it's like, that's interesting. But to the people reading this, and the people seeing what was going on at the time, it would have been a seismic shift. It would have been something really, really significant. Because John, in chapter 1, says, this all happened, this reading that Sarah's given us, at Bethany, on the other side of the river Jordan. Okay? What is the significance of the river Jordan? Entry into the promised land. Say again, Rosie? The entry into the promised land. Yes, it was the entry into the promised land. So, on one side of the river Jordan was the wilderness, the uh, desert around which the people of Israel famously wandered for how long? Give or take, okay? Now, who was their leader when they were wandering around the wilderness? Moses. Who famously didn't cross the Jordan into the promised land? Moses, okay? Who famously did cross the river Jordan in Moses' stead to take on the leadership of the people of Israel. Joshua, okay? So, all of this is really, really visceral stuff in the 
shared memory and psychology of the people of Israel. So just keep that in mind, what had historically happened. And to us, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that from Sunday school, right? But to them, it was everything. It represented the very birth of their nation. That moment, crossing the Jordan from the wilderness to the promised land. Led up to the Jordan by Moses, but then led on by Joshua. Fast forward hundreds of years from when that happened to where they are now. And so much water has passed under the bridge. Uh, I've for some reason taken to reading the Apocrypha, the Deuterocanonical books. So Maccabees and uh, Tobit and all those, some really good stuff there. But in Maccabees in particular, you can read about all the wars, all the conflicts, the endless puppet kings that were placed over the people of Israel and then deposed, and then the violence, the bloodshed, the temple being, um, being destroyed, being built again, them being pulled into captivity, the temple being profaned, as in horrible heathens coming in and wrecking everything and desecrating the temple and setting up fake idols and all this stuff was really gut-churning for the people of Israel because their God was supposed to be the God over all the other gods. And they kept losing. They kept being oppressed by power after power. And at this point in time, who is the occupying power? The Romans. How did the Romans get there? Well, you may not know this because we don't get to read Maccabees very often. But if you do read Maccabees, you find that it was the people of Israel who invited the Romans into their space. They made an alliance with the Romans first to try and secure their position. But it all went horribly wrong. And now the Romans were telling them what to do. They were in yet another one of these cycles of oppression, of uh, driving out the oppressors, of then restoring the temple, and then the temple being desecrated again. And all of this has been happening constantly since they came into the promised land. And everyone's like, what is this about? We're supposed to have come to a place of rest and promise and fulfillment and be at peace. But it's just an endless succession of violence after violence. <coughs> Apologies for sounding so dramatic and shouting. I'm, I don't mean to do that. It's just I know I'm, I don't know if people can hear me, so I'm speaking loudly on purpose, but I'm not trying to be one of those dramatic preachers. Although it suits me, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm going to just own it. I'm going I'm to bang the pulpit every so often. Well, not this one, because, you know. Anyway, so the... Uh, you can imagine the ordinary people are like, what do we, you know, we're, we're, we're a people of faith, but it never works out. When is this day of the Lord coming that everyone has heard so much about? It just never seems to be there. So John comes along. And John is the son of a priest. The son of a man who represents the establishment, the religion that's got them nowhere, basically. And he says, to hell with all of this, right? I'm going out to the wilderness. Not any wilderness, but specifically the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan. And not just anywhere, but of the 250 kilometer stretch that is the length of the River Jordan, he goes to Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, because there are two Bethanies. 
This is the exact spot that Joshua crossed the Jordan with the people of Israel. Do you know what Joshua had all his men do before they crossed over to the promised land? He had them circumcised. So the uh, practice of circumcision really came into its ritual own at that point because it wasn't just about taking over the new land. They were ceremonially representing their uh, commitment to Yahweh, their God, who was going to be their God in the new land. Okay? If I were going into battle, it wouldn't be the first thing I would have the soldiers do. <laughs> but that's just me. So, Anyway, it wasn't just about a conquest. There was something ritual about the way they crossed the river. Okay? So, John goes to that spot. He goes to Bethany. He goes onto the other side, into the wilderness. And he kind of lives this itinerant life out there. And then he baptizes people. Do you know who got baptized in the time that we're looking at here? Gentiles were baptized when they wanted to convert to Judaism, which was the religion of the people that we read about in Jesus' time. So that was a symbol of you joining the people of Israel by passing through water as they had done and becoming like them. So just think about this for a second. John goes out of the promised land, back to the point where they crossed in, into the wilderness, and then says, come and join me. And so if you wanted to be baptized by John, you had to cross to the wilderness. And then you had to undergo a ritual that was meant to be for Gentiles. So what was all that saying? It was saying, we've got this so wrong that we need to start again. Isn't it? We literally have to go out, do the whole ritual thing, just as a Gentile would. Gentile just means a non-Jew, by the way. And rejoin our own religion. That's what's being represented here. And John is the one leading people there, calling them to it. But John himself doesn't cross. He ushers people through. Who does cross? Who comes along and says, I'm here now to be baptized and cross? Jesus does, right? If you take uh, the Hebrew name of Jesus and translate it into Greek, as the Gospels do, and then translate it into English, you get Jesus. But if you translate it just from the Hebrew straight to English, you get Yeshua or Joshua. You see what's going on here? This is no accident. John is being the new Moses, saying, we need to go back and start right from the very beginning. When we first became the people of this land, it's gone so badly wrong, the system's so corrupt, I'm out, and who's with me, right? All of this, we've got something wrong in the way that we're following our God. There's a, an authenticity that's missing in the practice of our faith. Let's just go and do it again. What are the words that John uses? Repent. What does repent mean? Begin again, right? It has a sense of return, return to the start. And so John calls the people as Moses did, but then hands the baton to Jesus as Moses did to Joshua, and Jesus' name is Joshua. The whole thing is this elaborate set piece, and everyone at the time knew it. This is why John's ministry was so controversial. It's why it ended up getting him killed. So Jesus had to be baptized. This is why. It's not that Jesus was sinful. It's not that people were coming and saying sorry for our sins per se. Yes, part of it. It was much more to do with we are so 
out of step with our own faith. We need to go back to the beginning and start again. Now it's important to say that this wasn't about, this whole thing about repentance wasn't about uh, godless people finding God, was it? This wasn't about uh, previously sinners becoming righteous. This was already religious people recognizing that something was wrong with the way they were practicing their religion and going back to the start in an effort to have a more authentic expression of their own faith. Do you see that? Repentance wasn't for people who knew nothing about this God and who, 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 who come weeping to the altar to finally become a religious person. They were the religious people who didn't know how to engage their own faith and had so much stuff to kind of get rid of to, to start again that they just begun right from the beginning. They were... Uh, progressing into a new phase of their own faith. And so Jesus uh, joins this and leads, leads the charge, if you like. So, the people of Israel who were joining John in this movement were uh, clearing out, clearing through some of all the stuff that had grown up around their faith and their religion and trying to find something new and authentic. They were not letting go of their faith or chucking it away. They were keeping it. They wanted to hold on to the the, uh, genuine heart of their faith. They just wanted to get rid of all the trappings, all the layers, all the um, corruption that had grown up around their faith. And so in a sense, this is what baptism means today. It's the, it, the thing is that that's not often communicated, really. And people don't really understand it. And so the reason I'm saying all this is that I think, as I look around even this room, I think we're in the wilderness now. And I know many of you know what it's like to feel like you're in the wilderness in relation to the faith that you've known or grown up with. And I meet more and more people all the time who say, I, I, just, I just don't get it anymore. They don't want to leave God. They don't want even to leave the church necessarily. But they see so much stuff that just doesn't sit well with them that they feel they have no option. And so they've just been wandering around the wilderness. And so we have a calling as a people of God, I think, to say, yes, you are in the wilderness. So are we. Let's cross the river again. Let's keep our faith. Let's find the authentic, honest, true um, <coughs> origin of our calling as people of God in a new way that's not getting rid of it but just starting again and recapturing the original heart of that faith and that will be controversial and people will say to you what are you doing you can't just throw away your faith like that can you imagine what it must have looked like to the rest of the people of Israel seeing these guys go out and then do the baptism of Gentiles and then come back in who do they think they are right It couldn't have been easy. I also think that the people who went through this ritual of John had to be quite humble to do it. In order to question the trappings that have grown up around your faith, it takes a certain amount of humility and willingness to be flexible, to learn again. The practice of learning again, or metanoia, or repentance, rethinking, all of that, is inherently a humble pursuit. 
It's not arrogantly saying, you're all wrong, and we've got this new right thing. It's saying, I, I, just, can't, I just can't find integrity here. I'm starting again. And I'm going to find, I'm going to find the heart of this for myself. Uh, my dad was a civil engineer, and he used to talk about really boring stuff all the time, okay, about buildings and bridges and stuff. And I don't know why, but I remember him talking about expansion joints on bridges. Are they a thing? Expansion joints, Keith? Is that it? Yeah. An expansion joint which does what, Keith? Moves back and forward. Allows the expansion of the bridge with temperature change. And if those expansion joints weren't there, what would happen? So that's exactly what my... I nearly fell asleep there, Keith, as you were explaining. <laughs> it's just a, it's all coming back to me. He would, every bridge... Do you see the expansion joints? Yes, Dad, I see the expansion joints. Brilliant. Uh, but now, now I do actually see expansion joints. Oh, there's an expansion... But it's not just bridges, is it? Skyscrapers and big, solid structures, modern structures, have intentionally built into them points of, you might say, weakness, really, a joint a bit of flexibility. Skyscrapers actually sway. Some, don't they? Did I make it up? That's my dad said that, I'm just saying. So there's movement. And you may think, well, why would you deliberately weaken a structure? But by building flexibility into a structure, you aren't weakening it, you're strengthening it. Or at least you're causing it to function well, aren't you? Because something can be really, really strong but if it doesn't have flexibility, the second something pushes up against it, it cracks and falls over. In other words, it's brittle. And I think most of us have grown up without realizing it or experienced or inherited or just been immersed in a brittle faith. Yes, it's been strong and made of strong materials and robust in many areas, but it's had no expansion joints. It's had no flexibility. And the second you've questioned something, it's felt like the whole structure has come over. I'm... Maybe you can relate to what I'm saying, but I've heard this story so many times. And so what we are doing, and what I want to invite all of you to do, is to join me in the wilderness as we go through a series of conversations, building in expansion joints and flexibility into our faith, so that we may keep it, so that it may be a strong, robust thing, so that when the questions and the the new things happen and the new context that we have to find out how our faith fits. It doesn't all just break and shatter and fall over or cause us to retreat and have to defend something indefensible. It actually sways and moves and is flexible and an alive, breathing thing that therefore is stronger, actually. This isn't about deconstruction at all. It's about building in flexibility and opportunity for growth. I think... Um, Keeping faith is a worthwhile pursuit. I know what it feels like to say, I'm just chucking all of this out. But I think that's a shame. I think there's a good and honest faith to be had. And I think that we as a faith community, I mean here in Harbour, have a particularly unique opportunity to explore that together in a way that's not trying to tell everyone else they are wrong, but in a way that's hopefully providing an example of what it could look like to maintain a strong faith. It's not checking out, but building in these points of flexibility. And so we'll look at things like the Bible. How can we think about the Bible and Scripture with expansion joints in it, right? What do we think about the cross in a way that's not brittle and just makes the whole thing crack? 
whenever somebody says, hold on, what about that? What about prayer and worship? How do we relate to those aspects of our faith? These are all pillars of faith, aren't they? Church, prayer, worship, God, the cross, salvation, the Bible, all those structures. And for some people, those structures have fallen over one by one because they've cracked and they've fallen. And they've been okay until the last one or two have gone. And then the whole thing's over. And so, instead of going around knocking over more pillars, we want to strengthen them in a way that's going to last. So, the rest of the service over the next, excluding the sermon part, which is what this is, over the next seven weeks, will be very similar today. We're going to keep following the similar structure, which, as you noticed, was we begin by singing. Then we have a moment of a call to worship, which was supposed to be a transitional uh, multimedia thing. That never happened, but... It is what it is. And then, I don't know why. And then um, we want to build in what we call a common table, where we acknowledge parts of our shared faith, which could be the Lord's Prayer, a psalm, the Nunc Dimittis, uh, creeds, those aspects of our faith that are shared with the wider church. And then a reading of the lectionary, because I, during the sermons, won't be referring to the lectionary hardly. We still want to read it uh, and so that it's part of our practice. And from next week, whoever is reading the lectionary piece is going to be invited to comment on it as well. Obviously, I'm going to call it the lection reflection. Okay? So we're clear. So there will be a lection refle reflection each week. The reader of the lectionary passage will get to choose one of the four because uh, there are four each week. Old Testament, Psalms, Gospel, and so on. And then they can just make a comment or two, maximum two minutes, but there's no pressure to. So there'll be a, a nod to the lectionary as well. After that, the prayers of the people, which is the shared prayers that we have today. Now, do you see the four prayers of the people on the wall over there hanging uh, on pegs? Do you see the four A5 pages? Okay, those five pages, four, sorry, are the same ones that were read out by the four readers today. From next week, I'm not going to ask individuals, will you read this? Sigh of relief for most people in here, because I always spend most mornings asking people to read stuff. I'm going to just leave them there. And if you come in on a Sunday and you think, you know what, I'd like to contribute to the prayers of the people for today, just take one of those. And I know someone's going to read it. Please don't let all four still be hanging there by the time we come to the reading of the prayers of the people. Or I will just read them all myself. I want to create an environment where we uh, move more towards I don't want to say from me to we, but I kind of do as well, you know? So it's a we experience. We do the things together. The word litur liturgy obviously means the work of the people, not just the work of the priest. So I want to create more points of entry for all of us to contribute. And that's just one way of doing it. And it's very simple. You see how it works. You just take it. And then when the time comes, you stand here, you read it, and we all read it back to you. Um, that's the uh, prayers of the people. After that, we'll spend some time in a sermon. After that, a blessing and a close, closing song. So that'll be a structure that'll just be a pattern, a rhythm that'll be set for the next six or seven weeks. Um, if you would like to do the lection reflection, please volunteer. Please, we haven't asked someone. So just let me know. Yeah, I can do that.